welcome. It's good to have you here. I'll just wait for a moment. Um, yeah, as I said already, it's not mandatory that you wear masks. We encourage you to do it, but please, if you're uncomfortable, don't let that keep you away. Well, um, some of us do wear masks. I can't wear one, but I'm up front, obviously. Um, so it's been great to have you. It's a lovely morning. Thank God. He is a good God. He has continued to bless us through the uh, difficult times that we're going through. So, um, yeah. Good to have Shane and the Wadden family with us, even though they're on holiday. Great to have you back with us, because there's nowhere else to go. as we come to worship and even turn to it. Uh, I read it earlier this morning. It's a well-known phrase. I, I, have, a, I have what you call on, on, the, on the door of my house, on the frame of the door, I have what you call a mezuzah. A mezuzah is a little, uh, it's a little kind of a box that the Jewish people have on the door frame of their houses. And inside it, there are sort of lines written from the book of Deuteronomy and uh, what God says okay, Lucy, 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 if you go to the back see, you go to the back seat. yeah, yeah, because that way we keep the others for other people Thank you. 
What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. Come now. Let us reason, reason together. They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Isaiah 1, 11 through 18. Um, for this week, um, Friday night, we'll have the Bible study here in this building, just up in the other room. Um, so everyone is welcome to that. It's a, it's a great study in the Word. Steve will be teaching this week. And the only other thing, um, since Shane and Moana are still on holiday, they're here, but they're still on holiday. If you have any questions or anything, contact Brendan and send Shane so they can still have
wouldn't think it, but that's what God says to his people in the Old Testament. He tells them in, in Jeremiah chapter, where have I got it here? Yeah, church, chapter 17, verse 23. I had not opened those there. And this is what God says to his people. He says, Oh dear, I've got a problem with the eyes. <laughs> God says to his people, um, Yet they did not listen or pay attention. And why not? Why did they not listen or pay attention? Chapter 17, verse 23, he says, They were stiff necked and would not listen to discipline. It wasn't that they couldn't hear, they could hear perfectly well, all right. But they were not willing to listen. They were not willing to turn around and listen to God. And that's a warning. Children need to listen to their parents. That's definitely true. Uh, because I've seen children who are just like that. They can totally ignore you when they don't want to hear anything. But if you give them something they want, suddenly there's a response. But equally, for God's people, God was saying to his people in the Old Testament, you must learn to listen to me. Do not be stiff-necked. Do not go your own way. When I call, listen to the discipline I give you. Listen to the things I have to say. My word is what I want you to listen to, not your own thoughts. So that's just to encourage the children, number one, be obedient and listen to what your mom and dad say. Don't be stiff-necked. But also, number two, listen to what God says. Don't be stiff-necked and ignore him. And that's all I just wanted to say to the children. Maybe next week we'll have something else just to encourage them. Steve, I'll ask you to pray. Thanks.
And so that we confess that we need the gospel today. We need the good news of Jesus today. And so, Father, would you, even through your preached word and through song this morning, would you show us your son? Would he be all the more clear to us this morning? We thank you, Father, that you do not leave us nor forsake us in this world. And while we look at this world and it is it is hard and it's broken, and there's things that happen and we don't understand why they happen. But to ourselves, to our friends, to our family, to the world, even this virus we don't understand. And yet, God, we can thank you because you're with us and you're here and you're in control. And so we thank you. We thank you that we can gather. We thank you that we can, even though we can't sing, we can listen to song and we can worship in our hearts. Thank you, that Father, that it's really just our hearts that you care about. It's not our words. And we pray for those that are hurting this morning. Maybe it's a, it's a lost loved one. Maybe it's a prodigal son or daughter. Or maybe it is a, our own sin that we're struggling with. We don't always understand why we can't have victory here again. Maybe it is a job loss. Maybe it is just a, a trial because of the circumstances of being alone or not able to gather with friends. Father, we need you, and we are blessed to be able to gather together this morning. So, Father, as we sing, and as we hear your word, and as we talk, as we even look at creation and the beauty of it, would you receive our worship? May it be a sweet aroma to you. Father, it's really all we have to offer. We rest in Christ and we worship Him together. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Thank you. 
Patty and Andrew, it's a shame not to be able to sing together, but it is lovely to hear someone sing well the praises of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible with you, you might open at John chapter 4, please. John chapter 4, I've been going through um, some of the people that Jesus met in, in recent uh, sermons, and... Yeah, John, it's, it's a fascinating story. Gospel of John, chapter 4, the story of Jesus meeting a woman at a well in the land of Samaria. So John, chapter 4, reading from verse 4. It says, Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the top ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus... Tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. She was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would ask him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you've nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said, quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet the time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I will speak to you and he. And may the Lord bless the reading and the study of his word. And basically what I look, look at this morning is, who is the God you worship? Who is the God you worship? And that's what Jesus is trying to force this woman to think about today. And as, as I was preparing this, um, I, uh, I'm not as young as everyone here, and I learned to type when I was fully grown. And sometimes, you know, when you're typing, I try to use all my fingers typing, and I get a little bit mixed up. And there are three letters that make up a word. The letters are 
H-W-O, H-W-O. What do I mistype when I'm saying H-W-O? Who or how? It could be either. And so, you know, sometimes you have this autocorrect on, on Word, and you can, you know, when you type in H-W-O, it could convert it automatically to W-H-O. But I don't want to do that because I get both who and how mixed up. And what I want to look at this morning is who you worship and how do you worship him. And essentially, that is the whole theme of the Bible. Who do you worship and how do you worship? Earlier, Valerie read from us the kind of worship that the Lord spoke to his people in Isaiah the prophet. This is the kind of worship I want, God says. Um, and Jesus was directing the woman to worship the true and living God. She was a Samaritan, as I said. She was different, raised from the Jews. Her identity was, I'm a Samaritan. She even said that to Jesus. And for Samaritans, it was not just a racial difference, it was also a religious difference. Both race and religion were quite different. But as I say, Jesus is giving what possibly the most important information in the whole Bible. Who you worship and how you worship. What is it that God desires of man? Because, you see, your knowledge of who you think God is will direct the kind of worship you give him. I was, I was just reading last week uh, about a man who was uh, arrested in Dubai. He was known as one of the Yahoo boys. He had, in his apartment, he had $40 million in cash. He had outside, he had parked outside. Lamborghini, Rolls Royce, he was a major scammer. And he had literally scammed hundreds of millions of dollars from people. And he thought, I am rich. And he was boasting about it, saying to all his friends, if you don't let anyone put you down, you've got to believe that, that you're better than others. You've got to believe you can do these things. And he says, and you know who I thank for all the money I have? I thank God. God has blessed me. Even though he was scamming so many people, but he was saying, I thank God, God has blessed me. What sort of God did he worship? It was obviously a God of no integrity. He had his own concept of God, and so he lived his life according to his own concept of God. Because your view of God will dictate how you worship him, and basically the kind of life you live. Because the kind of life that you live is the way you worship God. And that's what God, Jesus was trying to get across to the Samaritan woman. For her, some worship was simply ritual or ceremony. It didn't affect her life after all. She wasn't late in sinner. We can see from that she had five different men in her life. The God she worshipped had no influence on her morality or on her day-to-day -day life. She worshipped God there. The Jews worshipped God there. But God has no impact on my life as far as she was concerned. But what sort of God do you worship if he doesn't affect your life? Because I, I remember some years back, I remember Enda Kenny used to be uh, our teacher one time. <clears throat> Enda Kenny once famously said, I'm not a Catholic teacher, I'm a teacher who's Catholic. And it sounds very noble. It sounds like he's saying, I'm keeping my religion and my politics separate. But we have to ask ourselves, what shaped his thinking? What shaped his moral standards? What shaped his integrity with regard to day-to-day -to -day 
life and functioning because, you see, all of us need a standard. And for him, he was able to say, well, God has no influence on my mind. My religion is separate. That's purely personal. It isn't. Because your knowledge of God, your worship of God, will shape everything about you. And Jesus was trying to emphasize that to this woman, as I say. This woman had an incorrect view of God, and, and so that shaped her life. But what I will say to you is, you need, both the believer and the non-believer, we need a proper understanding of who God is and what he is really like. And sadly, there are many religious people who have no concept of living a holy life. Many people have the mindset of, well, holiness is something that I do on a Sunday. It's something in my treatment of God, but it does not extend to the way I treat other people. I can treat them the way I want but God says, you know, I must affect every aspect of your life. So people could say, I can gossip, I can swear, I can live a, an immoral life. I can do what I not want as long as I say my prayers, go to church on a Sunday and say, sorry to God, light a candle, pray to a saint, or whatever it is. Worship is to do with being in the right place at the right time, with that sort of mindset. And yet Jesus is challenging that very much here. What he is saying to us is, true worship has to do with the state of your heart. True worship has to do with the state of your heart. It is a way of life for those who love God. And so what does God require of us in, in true worship? Well, Jesus would say, it is based on your relationship with God. Um, and Shane was reminding us last week of how the Colossian believers were Drifting back, Paul was saying, you're, you're drifting back to your old ways, just as we've been learning through the Hebrew book of Hebrews as well. But the Colossians, they've forgotten what God had done for them. And this woman didn't even know the God that she said she worshipped. So who is God? How do you worship him? It's the whole theme of scripture. And you can truly worship God. You can only truly worship God when you actually know him. You cannot worship a God you do not know. He is a personal God. And so many people think they can worship God, but in fact, they do not know the God whom they say they worship. Um, I was reading recently about uh, in Argentina in the 1970s and 1980s, there was a, a military junta. And what it was, was the military took over the, the country um, but they decided they would suppress all opposition. And so there were many students protesting against the military junta. They were yeah, opposing it. The military didn't like it at all. So what they did is they quietly, as it were, arrested these people illegally. And they, these people all disappeared. There were thousands of people, literally, who were protesting against the government. And they disappeared. Sadly, for, for some of those who disappeared, some of them were young women who were, who were pregnant, and their children, they allowed the children to be born, but those children were, were then taken away and given for adoption to supporters of the military junta. And those children were brought up with, with what they thought was their father and their mother, and they didn't know any better, until things began to come to the surface in, in the last... 10 or 15 years and some of these people 
where I came to the realization this person, whom I call my father and my mother, they're not really my parents at all. In fact, they would have said, not only are you not my parent, not my mother, I called you mama or papa all these years. You're not really my mama. You're not really my papa or whatever expression they would use. You are false people. You had me kidnapped from my real parents. You had me stolen. You had my real parents killed. And you pretended that you were my parents. This is no relationship. I do not know you as my parents. It was a relationship that was false. It was not based on truth. It was based on deceit. And God is saying to you, I do not want some false relationship with you. I want a living, personal relationship with you. Before you come to worship me, make sure that you know the God you worship. Just as a, a, a child, a, a daughter who's grown up or a son who's grown up will say, how can you say that I should call you my father or mother when you have, this is false. And God says, I want truth. Jesus says, those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And this is the kind of worship that God desires. Jesus said to her, you worship what you do not know. You don't know the God whom you think you worship. And later on in John, John chapter 17, Jesus says, this is eternal life, to know you, the true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. This is to know God. To, to know him and to have eternal life are synonymous. You cannot worship God if you do not know him. True spiritual worship then deals with God. It's recognising he is spirit. He's not confined to a place or to time, which is what this woman was doing. We cannot worship a God whom we do not know. And the only way we can know him is through his word, through reading it, through coming to know him. For the Samaritan the source of truth was the first five books of the Bible. They, they only used the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They didn't use the rest of it at all. And they had a limited knowledge of, of who God is. Jesus was saying, salvation is from the Jews. Now that must have hurt her. Jesus rebuked her religion, telling her that you worship, your yours is, is false worship. You don't know the God you think you know. And, and Jesus was saying, it is only through the Jewish people that worship is found. What did he mean by that? Well, it wasn't a very politically correct thing to say. What he was saying basically was, God chose the people a long time ago. He chose Abraham, and he made a clear promise to Abraham that through all nations, he would, he would bless all nations through him. He fulfilled that in revealing himself through the Hebrew scriptures, not just the first five books which this woman had, but he made the whole scriptures are, are given to us through God's people. Not only that, God's salvation comes not just through the knowledge of the scriptures, but through God sent a redeemer through the line of King David, who was Jewish, that God would save all mankind. So when Jesus said salvation is from the Jews, he was, I'm sure he was hurting this woman, because there was traditional rivalry between Jews and, and, and Samaritans, just as we'd say in Northern Ireland, there's rivalry between Catholics and Protestants. And it hurts to think, am 
am I on the wrong side? Am I on the right side? And this woman was basically being challenged. Who is the God you worship? How do you worship him? But the scriptures tell us clearly there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved than Jesus Christ. All other means of trying to approach God are wrong. And it wasn't that Samaritans worshipped idols, nor that they were greater sinners than the Jews. But salvation is found through the line of King David. And the traditional enemy enmity between Jews and Samaritans had to be discarded for this woman. So it was a big thing for her to say, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. And finally we read towards the end of the chapter that the people came to realize that Jesus was telling the truth. We may not like the answer we come with when we say, how can I find the true God? How can I find truth? It is found in the scriptures. That's why read the scriptures for yourself. See how you, who, who God really is. But she realized that Jesus was God's servant, and that was final. So God, is, and, and the God she was worshiping, and the God we worship, who is he? Well, he's not a force that we satisfy its needs, nor a distant, uncaring God, such as the ancient peoples had. He's a powerful, holy, compassionate God. He revealed himself through the scriptures and then in Jesus Christ, and therefore for you and me, for people living in the Western world, we have no excuse whatsoever. If we say we do not know God, we have absolutely no excuse because everyone here this morning has been brought up with the scriptures available to us. Most of us have been brought up at least to some degree with a knowledge of the scriptures. We have a knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Therefore, we will stand before God and he will ask, do you know me? Or will he say, as, as it says in the parables that Jesus spoke, away from me, I never knew you. And to know the true God is essential. And Jesus spoke about what it is to know God. Jesus tells her, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. What are you saying by that when he says worship him in spirit and truth? Remember in John chapter 3 earlier, he spoke about you must be born of the Spirit. It is only those who are born again can truly say, I am a child of God. The Holy Spirit has given me new life. I know the God I worship. He is my Father in heaven. This is my God. You must be born again, Jesus said. God is Spirit. And Jesus was, was reminding us that, and what, what Valerie read earlier, that we do not approach God by means of ceremony or by sacrifice or anything of a physical nature. There's much, for example, we've been studying from the Hebrews on Friday nights, and I encourage you, if you can make it, to come along. But the inadequacy we found in, in going through the book of Hebrews, the, the lack of, 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 I suppose, Satisfying God with animal sacrifice is seen in Hebrews. God does not want animal sacrifice. He doesn't want the offerings we bring. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And, and King David said later on, um, he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Sorry, that was Jeremiah said that. But God was saying, I want personal 
heart commitment. That is the kind of worst kind I want from a people who know me. So Jesus, having told you who the true God is and what he is like, Jesus also says this is how he is to be worshipped. And this woman, who we presume was typical of the Samaritans, she had looked for a place. We worship on Mount Gerritsen. You Jews worship on Mount Zion. You have your style of worship, the, the, the covenant sacrifice that you offer. We have our offerings. Jesus says, no, you don't worship God by ceremony, by ritual, by sacrifice. You worship God personally and truth. And we need to be aware as well as God's people. When we come to worship God on a Sunday, that is not what God requires. Yes, he does desire that we meet together like this. Thank God we can meet once again. But the kind of worship God desires is what Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 12 when he says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It is your day-to-day -day life that God wants in worship. The Sunday morning worship, as we call it, is simply the visible, spoken expression of our lives at a particular time. For the Samaritans, worship was ritual. It wasn't personal. But as I said, what, what Jesus quoted in, in um, Mark chapter 7, he's saying, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They honor me with their lips, and we need to be aware as Christians. You do not worship God by the things you say. You worship God by your whole life. And it is a challenge for God's people always. Um, and it wasn't just the New Testament. Amos born in the Old Testament. He's, God says, speaking through Amos, God says, I hate, I despise your re religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. And to the Jew as well as to the Samaritan, the whole history was one of offering God sacrifices, offering God these things. That's what satisfies God. That is not what God wants. He wants that personal faith, that personal relationship. You see, there is inherent in man, there is inherent in us, built into us, this desire to worship God through ceremony. And, and as Christians, we're as likely to fall into it as anyone else. We can fall into the trap of thinking, I go on a Sunday, we have a hymn, we have a prayer, we have a sermon, we have a hymn, and that's my worship. And that is not what God requires. It is good to be together, but God deserves your heart. It's amazing how easily we can forget the commandments of God. And continually turn our minds worshiping God in a form of church, church service. And yet, when we go outside the door here, we are still Christians. And God requires heart, a whole life that is lived in worship to Him. Worship, therefore, is not a particular act or a set of words or even singing His praise, but it's a whole way of life. It's the giving of ourselves, mind and body to God. I need to keep an eye on time here because, you know, just need to. Um, it is giving God everything. Your whole life lived to his glory. It means, and I, I remember a man telling me before, that I'm at the kitchen sink or at the office or whatever 
he used to go home, he was grown up, he was, um, he was married, and he used to go home, his mom was a Christian, a very devout Christian, and he said, when he went home, he saw his mom ironing one day, and he said, Mom, you never seem to mind the ironing, it's, it's not the most exciting job, and she said, oh, I love ironing, she said, I love doing the ironing, you know what I do when I'm doing the ironing? I'm trying to recite from memory the whole book of Romans. I try right, remembering every part of it because I learned it a long time ago. It gives me the opportunity to recite off as much as I can of the whole book of Romans. It was worship. And she had a sign of the saint that said, Worship begins here. Worship is your day-to-day life. And that is what God requires of you and me. And that is what God was trying to, Jesus was trying to say to this woman, your day-to-day life. When the scriptures, for example, speak of love, you know, we tend to think of love, well, in the modern world, it's, it's romance, it's affection, it's, it's, it's thoughts about others. But when the scriptures speak of love, remember the things Paul said when he talked about that great chapter of love. He said, love is patient. Love is kind, does not remember wrong, it is, it is not self-seeking. Love is practical in its activities towards others. And in the same way, when God speaks of worship, it isn't an act on a Sunday morning or an act of an altar. It is everything you do when you leave this building. And that is what Jesus requires of you, just as he spoke to this woman and was teaching her about the true God, teaching her about the worship of the true God, what God says to you and to me this morning, he says, I want your whole life devoted to me. Jesus is saying that to you. He says, if you say you believe in me, if you follow me, live as though you love me every moment of the day. Just to finish with the story of Job, the book of Job. Remember the story of Job, he was a man who... Um, he was very, very wealthy. He was prosperous in every way, very successful. And then he was afflicted with, he lost all his family members. He lost his children, lost all his wealth, everything. Then he lost his health and went through so much trauma and suffering. And his friends, they, they, were, they were not really friends at all. When they came to comfort him, they just brought more grief and said, admit you've done wrong and God will bless you. Admit you've done wrong. He said, no, I haven't done wrong. I don't know why God has allowed this happen to me. And he was questioning God, questioning God, why, why, why is all of this happening to me? What have I done? What have I done? God, answer me. And finally, God did speak to Job. God didn't answer any one of his questions, not one. But God revealed himself to Job as never before. And at the end of the book, Job said, in his answer to God, he said, My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you, and I repent in dust and ashes, and despise myself. He came to a new understanding of God, and his life was transformed. This woman in, in, that Jesus spoke to, she came to a new understanding of God, and her life was transformed. And I pray this morning that everyone here this morning knows Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. And if not, call out to him that he will transform you.
this place, make sure that you worship God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Amen. Let's pray and thank God for his goodness to us. Father, I thank you so much for your word. It is rich and true beyond anything this world offers. There are various things that are true in this world, but the ultimate truth we find is the gospel that is revealed in the scriptures. Please bless it to us, Lord God Almighty, our understanding of you. Thank you for all your kindness, your grace, and your goodness to us. Help us as we leave the building to live lives worthy of the name of Jesus. Amen.
Jesus in heaven, see them face to face, and we will say with full hearts then, with a perfect voice, here is with his hands, I'm sure. <laughs> Lord God, we thank you so much for that blessed hope, the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We were reminded of, turn our eyes to the hillside where mercy and justice are raised. Gracious God, thank you for coming. Thank you for the reason that we are here. Oh, bless us, Lord. Thank you for such a blessed day.